Hey, welcome to Life Church. We pray this blesses you and empowers you for your week ahead. We hope you enjoy this message. And how beautiful it is to be part of God's great family. All of that that we have just heard, every story, every encounter that you have had in a life group or a team where somebody has told you this is what the Lord has done is made possible by Jesus Christ. It is His church. It is, we are His people. It is His house. And we have this amazing privilege to be a part of what he is doing. And so I hope that this past month, everything that we've been hearing from Jock and Shirley and from the guests that have come in on the vision of what it is that God is doing in this part of his house has built up a desire and anticipation and excitement in all of us to pursue what it is that Jesus is doing because he is not finished with his church, and there is so much more to come. Do you believe that? Amen. His front row believes it, and back row still like, whoa, should we get in there? Do you believe that? There we go. Amen. All right, guys, we we do have a bring and share lunch coming up, and so we're going to go straight into the word here um, so that, you know, the food doesn't get too cold. If you did bring food, please will you point me in the direction of where it is because I would love to join your table afterwards. But I got a whiteboard up here, and the reason I have a whiteboard is because I do a lot of teaching. It's kind of what I uh, am, am employed to do for, for most of the time that um, I'm, I'm around is to teach people, right? Not just on Sundays, but in our college as well. And so I thought I would give you a quick theology lesson this morning. Okay, now some of you are sitting there going, I'm not sure that I really got out of bed this morning and, and asked God for that. But uh, I think it's important to to start with this thought because really today, I have one thing to give you, just one, and uh, I really want us to be on the same page of understanding how we can put this into practice. And that's gonna require this quick little theology lesson. And the question that I wanna ask you as we look to this lesson It's a very simple one, and it sounds simple, and a lot of people have discussions around this, but the deeper we go into it, the more complex it becomes. The question is this, who is God? Who is God? Now, if we were to go around the room and we were to ask different people who God is or to define God, we would get the same answers but they'd be different. And what I mean by that is, based on how we understand God, we will describe him in different ways. But we're talking about the same God, you with me? So some of us have gone through a journey where we have come to an understanding of God as healer. Because what we have needed from God more than anything else is healing, be it physically or emotionally or spiritually, That's been our understanding. And so when we talk to people about God, we naturally fall to what we understand, which is healing. Others of us 
have had a journey where God has been our provider. Now, of course, God has provided Christ, the sacrifice for our sins, and so God is the provider for all of us, but there are so many stories of how God has provided the needs, the very real needs that we have. And when you speak about God, that is the default that you go to. Others of us, if we're really honest, we spent years growing up in kids' church, and our default is to go to how we were taught about God, to essentially take something that somebody else deposited within us that as we went through life, we came to understand was true. And that is our default. And so when we speak about God, when we answer the question, who is God? We bring the same answers, but they're different. Because God is far bigger than any single attempt to define him. What you are doing when you are engaging in this question is you are utilizing what is called a theological framework. Right? And we all have a theological framework. This is essentially the lens or lenses through which you see and understand your faith and the author of your faith. And it is informed by various things. Now, one of the uh, things that I do is I'm currently writing a dissertation um, for the next part of my studies, which I was supposed to get in about three months ago, and that has not gone in yet. And I'm praying that it will go in before the end of this year, um, you know, but all in God's timing. And my dissertation is on a, an English priest from the 18th century in the Church of England, who led perhaps the greatest revival that this nation has seen so far. His name was John Wesley. Anybody heard of John Wesley? Yeah, John Wesley, right. His brother Charles wrote the hymns, John did the preaching, and they were this amazing power team that went out and brought revival, quite literally saving the nation from falling apart through their preaching. And, and one of the things that you see in John Wesley's life is what is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Now, the Wesleyan quadrilateral is a fancy term, if you're taking notes, don't worry, I'm gonna explain it to you, that simply sums up the four things or sources that Wesley believed informs our understanding of God. There are four things that he says impact whether you know it or not, how you view God and how you view God's work in you. And the Wesleyan quadrilateral is simply this. Scripture tells us who God is. You all agree? Scripture, the Bible. You wanna know who God is? Open the Bible. But there's also tradition we have all of us been shaped by the people that have gone before us. I'm a good, uh, I was raised as a good Anglican boy. So the Anglicans would be my tradition, but a lot of church uh, expressions have shaped me and shaped you, whether you were in a particular movement or not. So tradition, this is kind of focused on how people talk about God. Then there's reason. 
Reason is the application of our mind to our faith. The simplest way to describe it is if I look at a Yorkshire sunrise, which is among the most beautiful sunrises in the world. Yeah, Yeah? come on Yorkshire. Reason tells me there's gotta be a God behind this. Reason tells me there is a designer at work. But this was what the church up until Wesley's preaching held to in how they spoke and understood God. But Wesley added a fourth dimension, which was experience. And the reason that Wesley added experience is because he understood this. If I am going to be someone who was once dead in my sin, I was spiritually dead, I was ruled by the flesh, I wanted only what was good for my own desires. And I encounter Jesus and I become a new creation, I am saved by Him. It can only be through a personal experience of the risen Lord Jesus that that salvation can be possible. And the preaching of John Wesley and the revivalist movement of the 18th century did not just tell people about a Christ who was in a book and in our history, but it invited every human from every class and every gender and every background to have a relationship with a living Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what transformed our society. It transformed our culture. It contributed to the end of the slave trade. That's how powerful this message was. Who is God? Well, this is how I can tell you who God is. But when we look at this quadrilateral, if we're really honest, I think a lot of us tend to move to this area over here because we want to build our understanding of God based on our experience of Him. And so so what do we do? We pursue things that we know will help us to, to build a picture of God based on how He works in our lives. And of course, that's true. Because like I just mentioned a moment ago, we all have stories of how Jesus has healed us, provided for us, comforted us, restored us, given us peace, experiences that have shaped us. But the thing about experience is that when I look at experiences in my life that I have been through, where I have seen the power of God at work, And I try to explain them to someone who has not experienced that. Very different conclusions can be drawn. You ever been in that position where you've been speaking about something that you think is awesome, like God did this, it was amazing, and then somebody else is kind of like, what? That wasn't that amazing. Like, yeah, you learned that, but it doesn't sound great. I don't want that, thank you very much. I mean, take the apostles, for instance, right? The apostle Paul, writes to the churches in the New Testament of his experience of being in prison for Jesus. 
And what he tells them is this experience is so incredible that it has changed my life. Like it has given me joy and peace because I'm in chains. And you can imagine every Christian reading that letter going, yeah, Paul, um, that's, not, that's not the experience we want. That's good for you, but, but I'm not looking for that. Thank you very much. So experience is good and it informs and it builds. But when we talk about our understanding of God, there is one that is above all else. And that is scripture. We will not remove our understanding of God being informed through our tradition, what people teach us. We need that. We need the church, the community to come together and shape us as the people of God. We can't do this alone. We need reason. Guys, you don't open the Bible and switch off your minds. Right, God speaks to our brains. He loves knowledge. He loves, God loves science. He gave us science. And so we we need reason to understand God. We need experience because as we've just said, if I don't have a personal experience of Jesus Christ, my salvation, my salvation depends on meeting the risen Christ. But the Bible, the scriptures, are the supreme authority the highest authority because it is the Bible that tells me who God is and what he does. Now, why does this matter today? What's all of that about? We all face challenges and struggles that, if we're honest, as we age, just seem to intensify, right? Like, like, like I have noticed going from 20 years old into my 30s, and some of you are like, mate, you're not ready to talk about this yet. Wait until you're like 60, 70. But I'm gonna talk about it briefly. The things that I thought were difficult were so easy back then, right? The things now that I realize I have to carry in my marriage, in my family, in my work, in my faith, in my relationships. No one told me that growing up into a man meant that responsibility was going to be this heavy. And of course, ladies got all kinds of different responsibilities, right? I can't talk about that. But guys, you know what I'm talking about. It can become overwhelming and we can find ourselves even as believers who have experienced all of the greatness and goodness of God and every time we're together and we're worshiping, we're falling on the floor and we are experiencing these visions and dreams, we can still find ourselves becoming overwhelmed by the daily grind of a world that is far from Christ, that seems to be overpowering us that seems to be against us because the reality is this world is against us. It is. So what are we to do? Why does scripture matter as the informer of God? Well, scripture tells us in the Old Testament about a God named Yahweh, a God named Jehovah, 
and a God named Elohim. And the interesting thing is that in the Old Testament, the most commonly used names of God, although they have slightly different meanings when we translate them into English, all emphasize what we call the sovereignty of God. Yahweh and Jehovah, they're really the same thing, just it's a, it's a translation question, and Elohim convey the power and the strength of a God who created all things and holds all things. I wanna shoot through some Bible verses real quick to show you what I mean. They'll be up on the screen and I'm just gonna read them out to you. This is how the Old Testament authors speak about Yahweh. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Jeremiah 14, 22, are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you for you do all these things. Amen. And Isaiah 14, 27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, who will turn it back. The Bible is preoccupied with showing us, informing us, revealing to us a God who is sovereign in all things. And what that means is that every single obstacle, challenge, difficulty that this life can put before us, as big and consuming as it seems, is a fraction of the God who holds all things. Because where the Old Testament reveals Yahweh, the New Testament reveals Jesus. And what the New Testament authors do is they connect Jesus to Yahweh to show us that not only is this man Jesus, not only is he speaking the words of Yahweh, not only is he bringing the truth of Yahweh, but he is the very embodiment of the God who in Genesis was hovering over the face of the earth. This Jesus is that God in human form, the God who took the Israelites out of Egypt and led them through the desert into the promised land. The same God who delivered Israel from her enemies, who told that son to stand still, is in Jesus Christ. He is the physical embodiment and the one to whom we go for our salvation and our hope. And so the New Testament gives us the words of Paul in Colossians chapter one. And Paul tells us of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, remember Genesis, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, that's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When Paul heard that these Christians in Colossae were being overwhelmed by their challenges, by the opposition that they faced for being Christian, for having faith. He wrote to them and he did not tell them, look within yourselves for the strength to continue. He didn't say to them, look within yourselves for the wisdom and the power to overcome. He didn't say to them, look within yourselves to become stronger and more powerful. Look to your authority. What he said to them was, this is who Jesus is. This is the Lord that has saved you and who is head of your church. This is who you serve. And if this is who He is, if He is Yahweh in flesh, revealed through the Scriptures, who you can experience daily, why would you be afraid of what lies ahead? Why would you be afraid of the challenges that you face? Why would you be afraid of being defeated by what the enemy has purposed? Paul is essentially saying to the Colossian church, don't look to your sovereignty. Don't look to your greatness. Don't look to your power. Don't pursue that. Do not trust in what man can do but look to the power of God Almighty. And if you cannot see it, friend, if you cannot see it, if you feel that you are blind to it, if you're like, I am just not experiencing it, or my tradition, my belief system that has been established with me, it it, it just doesn't help me right now. And, And my reason is telling me that everything that I am facing is overwhelming. It is going to destroy me. If that's where you are, look to Jesus in His Word. Let that Word reveal the fullness of the One who is the fullness of God. Let it speak into your soul and through that, let it build a pure faith that will sustain you, that will carry you, and that will lead you to what He has promised, a life with Him, a life forever in His arms. We overcome through the Son revealed in Scripture that we experience and we move forward confident in the victory He's already won for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray and then we're going to worship. Father, thank you for...
the truth of your word. Thank you for showing us who you are, the magnitude, the might of your name. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus and then for making it possible for us to know him every single day. And Lord, we pray that as we look to whatever lies ahead of us, may we not be overwhelmed by the enormity of the difficulty or the challenge, the mountain that we may be facing. But may we remember who you are. May we remember what you have already done, the miracles and the power that you have already shown and help us to live with that faith that we know you are going before us and that you are sovereign. You are in control. You are God. And so we ask for confidence to trust in you for who you are and to lead us to what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We pray you feel encouraged by this word. We would love to hear from you, so why not connect with us via the website at lifechurchhome.com or on our socials at Life Church Home. Have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.